Hello and welcome to episode 133 of Decentralized Revolution, a podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and Mises PAC. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron Harris. Um, we have not been putting out many episodes of Decentralized Revolution lately, uh, just a lot of things happening. Uh, among them, uh, uh, most uh, uh, pertinent to me is uh, I was chosen uh, to be the chairman of Mises PAC uh, since uh, Michael Heiss left to go over to the Rechtenwald campaign. And that's a big responsibility and I've had a lot to do and uh, just transferring everything over to me. And uh, uh, I'm already uh, the type of guy who's behind on everything. And so I've been a little more behind, but I'm getting there. Uh, we've got some things planned for you uh, early next year uh, to get back into the swing with the podcast. But uh, the main focus uh, through the holidays and through Memorial Day is obviously going to be the Libertarian National Convention, which is in Washington, D.C., uh, over Memorial Day weekend um, in 2024. Uh, we have three big goals, obviously. Nominate Michael Rechtenwald as the LP candidate for president. Uh, second a goal would be uh, to uh, uh, change some bylaws and tighten some things up there. Uh, and most importantly is to uh, elect a libertarian national committee that's going to continue to do what uh, Angela and the LNC has been doing over the past couple of years since the Reno reset. It's been like trying to turn around a huge ocean liner, um, you know, on a dime. And uh, after a few months of kind of, uh, you know, seemingly not much progress, things are kind of headed in the right direction. Uh, a lot of candidate uh, training, uh, a lot of stuff, quite frankly, that kind of lines up with what we are doing uh, with Project Decentralized Revolution of the Mises Caucus, which is the hyper-local strategy uh, uh, coalitions. Uh, there's the Defeat the Deep State rally coming up uh, that uh, Angela and the LP, I think, co-created, which is kind of a um, analog to the Rage Against the War Machine rally last year, or I guess this year, uh, if you're listening to this in December. So, Angela's been doing a great job. She's seeking re-election, and we've got uh, finalizing a, a, a really nice slate of Mises Caucus-endorsed candidates. So if you need to um, find some more information uh, about uh, getting involved, uh, so you have to become a delegate from your state if you want to be a delegate in uh, a voting delegate at the convention in D.C., you got to get involved in your state and be chosen as a delegate. If you are not plugged in with your Mises Caucus team uh, in your state who will help you through that, there's two things you can do. One, go to takehumanaction.com to uh, just get on our mailing list. And uh, when you do that and you put your state, it should trigger an email uh, to our state organizers who will get in touch with you. Uh, if you've done that and, and for some reason someone hasn't reached out or you know, you, maybe you were plugged in a couple of years ago and kind of uh, hadn't had much time lately, but want to get back in the mix. You can just email me at Aaron at Mises caucus.com. That's A-A-R-O-N at Mises caucus.com. And I'll forward that over to the uh, correct person. So getting one more um, episode of decentralized revolution in before the end of the year has been someone that uh, we had him on the live show a few months ago, and that's Bob Murphy. He's a great economist. Uh, he's just, uh, he writes a lot about secession and Bitcoin. And he's one of those guys that I don't know, like there's more than 24 hours in his day or something because he gets a lot done. 
and all of it's pretty brilliant. And on his podcast, the Bob Murphy show, he talks a lot about his faith and uh, in particular, once in a while, pacifism comes up. I think most everybody knows Bob as a, as a pacifist. I know that can be kind of controversial uh, in libertarian circles. And I've always, you know, the last few years kind of thought of myself as about 90% pacifist and wanted to get Bob on to kind of just clarify some of that and uh, give you all some food for thought. Obviously, anything Bob and I say or, you know, just the opinions of Bob and I. Um, and so we're not saying this is, you know, what the Mises caucus believes or anything like that, but I thought it would be appropriate given that, uh, Christmas day, uh, those of us who are Christians celebrate, uh, the birth of the Prince of peace. Uh, for those of you who aren't into that, I beg your indulgence, uh, as you listen, uh, to this episode with Bob, uh, there's also one little, I think toward the end, I, um, uh, talk about, Hey, you, you know, why don't you put this on your podcast feed too? And I just want you guys to know I wasn't being forward. He had uh, told me uh, ahead of time that after this is up a week or so on the Mises caucus feed that he wanted to uh, put it out on his feed of the Bob Murphy show. And of course I'm honored to do that. And I just really enjoyed talking to him. We recorded this, I think on uh, December 19th and uh, I hope you will enjoy that and that you have a Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Well, it's uh, the Christmas time of year and uh, no better time uh, to talk about peace. We celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, those of us who are Christians. And I know that um, pacifism is something that comes up in uh, ethical debates um, in the libertarian world. And um, no better person to talk about it from my perspective uh, than Bob Murphy. You've talked a lot about it. And I've kind of been on a journey toward that. Um, and I know you have too. So, uh, so why don't you tell me, I think you were a libertarian before you became a Christian. Um, so why don't we start by defining pacifism uh, in your terms and what, you know, maybe what most people would call it to lay down some distinctions and terms and then tell us how you came to call yourself a pacifist. Okay, sure. And, and thanks, Aaron, for providing uh, this opportunity. So uh, it, it's it, not that it's a big de deal in the grand scheme, but I guess strictly speaking, I would have been a Christian first because I was raised, you know, Catholic and then I fell out of it. And then I was a libertarian and there was a period, yes, where I was a libertarian atheist. Right. And then, you know, so one <laughs> of those annoying uh, libertarian atheists, I believe yeah. <laughs> you've described yourself as. Um, and then, and now I'm Protestant though, just not to confuse people, but that's, that was okay. my progression. So um, so many of you might think, oh, well, he'll, he'll grow out of this pacifism. It sounds like he doesn't cling to something for very long and <laughs> changes his mind. But in any event, joking aside, uh, so yeah, what I mean by the term, uh, is, and you know, this is up for debate, obviously, and different people might mean different things. So for example, some people by pacifism just mean they don't want their country to go to war. Like that's kind of what they mean. Whereas, you know, so, and I know like in World War II, there were a lot of people mm -hmm. that called themselves pacifists, but if somebody broke into their house, they would have no problem, you know, if they had to, you know, using violence against the person to repel them. They just meant, I don't think our country should, you know, be fighting Germany or whatever. That's right. so, but I, I mean, it's stronger than that. So I do mean it at the personal level. Um, however, uh, and with all this stuff, I, I kind of embraced Tolstoy's perspective. So he wrote the kingdom of God is within you. And among other things, I guess you could say that was like a tract 
in ad, you know, advocating Christian pacifism, but he was holding it up as a is an impossible ideal that only Jesus fulfilled, right? And I, and I know I'm kind of jumping around, and we'll probably unpack a lot mm. of this, Aaron. But I just want to be clear, like what my view is up front that it, um, and also too, because it's going to feed into like a, one typical objection that people often have when they, they they don't believe you when you when you say, "Oh, I'm a pacifist." So again, Tolstoy held it up as this impossible ideal, sort of like, you know. If if you're a married man, you should never look on another woman with lust in your heart, or else you've committed adultery, right? Like, I think you know any Christian husband says, "Yes, that's what I should do." Does that mean oh, you're going to go sixty years and never see it? You know, some yeah. scandal clay walk by and not have something pop into your head? You know, probably not, right? right. So that's kind of the thing. So you know, people say, "What are you talking about, Bob?" You're saying if some guy's about to you know smack your three year old with a baseball bat. And you have no other recourse except to, yeah, if you design the scenario such that I have to let my little kid really get hurt or else, um, you know, violate my pacifism, I, I'm going to do what I got to do to protect my kid. But a lot of people then say, aha, see, so you're not a pacifist after all. And I, I think that's loading the deck and I don't think that's, that's a helpful distinction, mm -hmm. right? Just like if somebody says I'm a vegetarian and someone says, oh, so if I grabbed your kid and put a gun to his head and said, eat that burger, I'm going to kill your kid. You're not going to eat the burger. I guess you're not a, a vegetarian after all. You, you see what I mean? So that's a little yep. bit contrived too on the other other way. But my point is, in general, uh, it, like I, I I would not. I so I don't own a gun, for example, right? I, I would not want it to be the case that like if someone tried to mug me, that I shot the guy or even just brandished the weapon. I I'm trying to go through my life, not relying on such techniques. And I think there's a huge scope of things, scenarios where people just assume you would have to use violence in that situation or else the results would be unacceptable. And I think, uh, the zone of, or the types of scenarios in which that's actually true is a lot smaller than even standard libertarians believe. So that, that, that's what I mean. At the very least, if I had to the scenario where I said like, yeah, some nut job comes up and he's about to hurt my kid and I end up doing something and causing lasting bodily harm to the person to stop them for the rest of my life, I would try to think through, is there something I could have done differently in that situation? I would not feel like, Hey, he had it coming. Uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't brag about it and wanted to get on one of those clips on Twitter about, you know, bad guys getting what's coming to him kind of thing. Like I would think through, is there some way I could have handled that differently such that I didn't feel the need to be pushed into that position. So again, if you want to say I'm not really a pacifist, okay, but I think I'm much more committed to that being the ideal as opposed to a lot of libertarians, I think, say, no, if it's in self-defense, if someone initiates aggression, you know, not only do they think it's fine, some of them think you it's your duty to, you know, punish that person to send a message. So uh, I'll stop there. I, I kind of threw out a lot there, but that's where I'm coming from. No, that's okay, because I, I, I do hear that. Um, a lot of libertarians do, especially, um, and not just libertarians, like in regard to like someone who is a child molester or someone who abuses an animal. Like I, I, I've noticed that those two things in particular, one, I understand. And I guess I understand with like pets too, but like people will come out with these like just extreme, you know, bizarre fantasy type things of like, Oh, if someone ever, you know, did something to, if I, if I found out somebody was a child molester, they deserve to, to have X, Y, and Z happen right, to them. Right. And so th that's, I guess, to, to still try to get at the, um, uh, definition, um, 
uh, of pacifism. Like one thing I think in my head, and again, I don't claim this to be right, but I think that using um, violence, coercion to get what I want or what I think is the right outcome it, in any but the most extreme circumstance. So like, you know, technically speaking, you know, again, a bizarre scenario, if somebody walks into the Starbucks and that I'm at and they have a gun and I can pick up a chair and, you know, knock him out. Like I'm hope that I would have the courage to do that. But like, let's say I subdued him and, you know, could, you know, bind his arms or sit on him until the cops get there. Like, I don't think even if he had killed a couple of people, like I think at that point it would be wrong to, you know, beat him excessively or to kill him once I, once the threat is gone, like to, to then use violence. I think that is wrong. So I almost look at like, you know, you would save your child from an oncoming bus just the same as you would, you know, an oncoming, you know, some, a a violent person, but like to exact punishment or to get your way in a political sense or to, to do it when, you know, like someone who is, you know, okay, you've arrested the guy, he's in jail, he can't possibly hurt anybody else, like to then kill him, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So like my, I guess my one tiny non-pacifist thing is, is like in an emergency, I think I should be able to do something to, to save an innocent against someone who is at least appears to be not innocent, you know? Okay, great. Yeah. A lot of points there. Let me just try to rapid fire respond to them. Um, I think I'm largely in agreement with you just to echo. So one thing is a clarification I should probably say early on before we forget. I am not saying libertarianism requires one to be a pacifist. Mm -hmm. I think it's obviously consistent. I think pacifism, and especially if you're motivating it from a Christian uh, perspective or foundation, uh, is is just pushing the non-aggression principle even further. Right. So in, I think a lot of Rothbardians think of it as like there's this, you know, two categories, like there's, you know, defensive violence and then aggressive violence. And, you know, and that's qualitatively different. And that's the, that's really all, all you need to do. And, you know, one's bad and one's good. Whereas for me, the now the way I look at it in retrospect is when I was younger, before I was a libertarian and I, you know, may have agreed with minimum wage laws or what, I don't even know if I had a stance on them when I was a little kid, but I probably wouldn't have had a problem with it and stuff. And then over time, like the more I studied economics and libertarianism, it was like, oh, the zone of what I thought was the acceptable use of violence kept shrinking. And so I'm just saying, and and it wasn't merely because of just some philosophical thing. It was also, you know, it went hand in hand with pragmatic considerations as as well, right? So like to be against the minimum wage, technically it's, oh, the government shouldn't have guys with guns pointing at employers and saying, you better pay at least, you know, this amount per hour or else we're going to punish you. Like, so that's one way of viewing it and saying, nope, that's inadmissible. But beyond that, you'd say, in any way, using violence in that fashion doesn't achieve the ends that it ostensibly is supposed to. Yeah. So it's not just that there's some principle it violates, but it also doesn't work. Yeah. And I agree. so, and so likewise going through all that, like you said, a great example um, of, of the kind of thing that, yeah, I recoil against too. Whenever, you know, like there's some news story that gets posted on Twitter about somebody who did something really heinous, perhaps involving children and people will, yeah, they'll sit there and go through like these uh, like verbal 
porn descriptions of first I would do this to him and then I would do this to him. And it, you know, a lot of times involving their genitalia and stuff. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. And uh, besides me thinking that that's not acceptable, you know, that's not a correct use of, uh, you know, re retribution or whatever. You couldn't justify that in terms of, you know, like if anyway, beyond that, I don't think it, it actually works, right? That right. it's not that pedophiles, well, I was about to say, Aaron, it's not that pedophiles are walking around not knowing the society disapproves of that, but actually in the last 10 years, that is true. But yeah. historically, like 30 years ago, it wasn't the case that pedophiles were, oh, geez, was that wrong? If yeah. somebody had told me, should I not have done that? Like, that's not the issue, right? It's not that there's not enough deterrent. Because even when they go to prison, a lot of times, like the other inmates will, you know, kill them or really hurt them. Right. Um, so it's not that society, you know, so to me, no, the reason someone goes and does stuff like that to kids it's not because it's not like they go and rob a bank. That, that's what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah. That we do a cost benefit. And geez, if, you know, if you just made it legal to rob banks, I bet you there'd be a lot more bank robberies, huh? Right. I, I think, yeah, that that's not the right way, you know, on that particular type of thing. And I think what people are getting at is I think that they, it is like, oh, maybe it's deterrence, but also just their sense of some sort of sense of cosmic justice of like, this should be done to them because you're right. Like, most people who would do something, you know, the most extreme clear cut cases of the thing we're talking about um, would, I think evidence shows that those people, even when they are chemically castrated or they know the consequences, they still are highly likely to offend in that way. So the deterrent thing definitely doesn't work, but the cosmic justice thing, it's like, so that that's the ethical thing. So like, take me through. So you use the phrase, like the, the, my zone of acceptable use of violence kept shrinking. So like what was going on in your heart and your mind um, from, to get you to where you are now um, uh, on the moral side. And then I kind of, or, or did the practical side come first? So just talk about that journey. The first time you maybe thought, Hey, maybe, you know, that is not, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Can you think of how, what, okay. What? So yeah. Yeah. So one, so, so it's, but by the way, it, it's mostly like, I just on my personal life, like came to be eventually call myself a pacifist. And then in retrospect, I sort of looked at my intellectual and I guess moral mm -hmm. evolution or philosophical and realized, Oh, it's not that, Oh, I became a libertarian. And then as a completely separate thing, I became a pacifist. I realized they were kind of linked. That mm -hmm. it was like the more I learned about human nature and how people work, it was like realizing that, no, the scenarios in which using violence is a good way to achieve your goals. It just, no, it, it's, it's, it's not as, it, uh, one way I put it in my writings is to say that, uh, the violence is overrated. Yeah. That a lot of people think that, oh yeah. And this kind of, and just one clarification of, or not clear, but extension of what you were saying there. To be clear, what, what I mean is for the deterrent thing, because you know, a lot of people say, well, no, if you had somebody who was a convicted sex offender, especially against kids, like you should lock them up forever. So there's no question that they're not hurting anybody ever again. But I just meant for the population at large, you know, knowing that, oh, we better not do that activity because if I get caught, then this is going to happen. You know, like to say, oh, we're going to boil you in oil over the course of three months or whatever, you know, that at some point, like it's again, it's, it's, I don't think the reason people abuse little kids is because society hasn't been clear that there's bad consequences for that. I think there's something yeah. else going on. Like there's yeah. a cycle of abuse and blah, blah. 
And so if that's what it is, the way you get out of that is not by just, you know, turning up the dial on how much aggression, not aggression, how much violence we unleash on certain other people and publicize it. And that that's the way to make our society, you know, tone down the awful behaviors that, you know, seep out. So, uh, but to go back to your uh, question, one pivotal moment I can say for sure is when I was in grad school, I moved to an area that was a pretty rough neighborhood. And so at this point I was, you know, ANCAP. And so I, I thought it was, um, it would have been acceptable if I shot someone in self-defense. And so I had to decide at that point, you know, I was on my own in my young 20, mid twenties, maybe. And I had to decide, should I go get a gun? You know, cause my growing up, my parents didn't have one and I didn't have that in the house, you know, so I didn't have a personal experience with it. And so I had to decide, okay, now that I'm living in a rough neighborhood, you know, should I get a gun for self-defense? And I weighed the pros and I just decided I, I didn't want to, because I was, it was never that I thought I was going to go commit a crime or something with it, but I was concerned that maybe having that on me might make me in a certain situation, let things escalate because I thought I had this Trump card on me, Yep. you know? And so I thought, no, I should, you know, and I'm, you know, cause I was going through the scenarios like, by the way, for all this stuff, I am not at all saying anyone else needs to take my, you know, so like if, if I were a 110 pound woman in the same, you know, maybe I would answer differently. But for me, I was like, you know, probably, especially like if I go out walking at night and I leave my wallet at home and whatever, you know, like what's the worst, someone's probably not going to kill me. You know, it would, someone can't kidnap me. It would take like a van with two men at least to grab me, you know? <laughs> so I'm right. just going through like realistically, yeah. or if that did happen, it would be the CIA coming to get me. Cause they've read my area. They realized I was a threat and, you know, and I'd be like Newman, like what took you so long? Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but in that kind of case, having a gun's not going to help me. You know what I mean? Like, if the C- so I'm just going through the scenarios, like, and on the margin, I just decided, no, I don't actually think it makes sense for me to get that again, because that sets me down a path. I think, and for people here in this, we don't, I don't want to partly give away my secret. I'm telling you, there is a lot of things you could do to diffuse a situation or confuse a mugger or whatever. Yep. Again, with, with what I had to work with, you know, I, I was lighter at the time. I was, I'm pretty fast. I, you know, so I'm just saying there's a lot of things to, and also too, you don't have to wear a sign saying I'm a pacifist. Right. Okay. So I'm saying like if I dressed with, you know, secondhand, when I lived in these rough areas, you know, I would dress accordingly, you know, if I'm walking around, I wasn't going around wearing a tuxedo. Yeah. <laughs> and so just, I would just get in the mind of the mugger and just say, why would anybody take the time? Yeah. You know, it doesn't look like I have a lot of money on me. And so I'm just saying that was one particular thing on this path towards like for just me personally. Yeah. And, and that's with all this stuff. I, again, I'm not telling other people you should be a pacifist. I'm just explaining for me, but I will say, uh, in another big thing, like I had a debate with Tom Woods on one of our Contra cruises and I was arguing that like a society that doesn't use violence institutionally, I think would be in a much better a position. So I think like, like defense agencies and things like that, like, uh, you know, there's a bank robber and I think in a free society over time, just market forces would be, there'd still be a response team, but it would show up and the people would have on body armor and like those big, uh, you know, plastic see-through things that like the police do when there's riots and stuff, as opposed to having a bunch of sharpshooters show up and try to shoot the guy and just contain them that way. I just, I think, that would just be a lot more civilized and and just companies would naturally do that. Like that would be a way to compete is to say we can apprehend 
criminals without actually hurting them. You yeah. know, like, oh, gee, we broke that guy's arm. We're going to reevaluate what did we do wrong in that situation. You know, like that would be the way they would compete, and it's better for business. It's just better for the community. The kids don't see that happening. So anyway, that's well, just kind of where, you know, some of the things in the evolution. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's go into some of the, the practical things. Um, and I read chaos theory and am I right that did Javier Malay actually refer to your book on TV? Yeah, he did. Uh, so does that mean like a million? I mean, from my point of view, he just said, but Yep. The, the subtitles suggested that he was talking about me in the book. Can, can you tell if people come and download it more or was there a spike or like, do you know, there's not a Spanish edition, I don't guess. So uh, I, there probably is. Okay. I, I, I mean, I'm not certain of that, but there, some people have translated a few of my books into thing and I would, I would be surprised if there's not a Spanish chaos theory. But. Okay. So yeah, it's pretty short. So uh, just Google Bob Murphy or Robert P Murphy chaos theory and it's, it's out there, right? Yeah. Okay. So in, in that book, you do talk about a lot of um, practical ways. And so that is kind of when you do bring up you're a pacifist, uh, people say, oh, well, in that case, you know, almost the standard arguments that um, just libertarians in general get when you talk about like, you know, privatizing the police or something like that. But, you know, the, the pacifism word kind of blows people's minds even more. And they immediately go to, uh, the practical and, and come up with these, like, uh, like we already talked about extreme, uh, scenarios like the, Oh, are you trespassing if you fall out of a window and mm -hmm. grab somebody's flagpole? Well, I actually have an answer for that is that if you break the guy's flagpole or, or damage it by surviving, you, you should reimburse him for that. Right. Or, and if that doesn't work, you go to a jury and you let people sort it out and whatever. In other words, in hard cases, you know, you act what you feel is best and then you try to work it out afterward. But so, um, and in the pacifism thing, they immediately go toward, you know, these strange scenarios, but instead of like coming, talking about those, um, uh, out, outlandish scenarios, why don't we uh, look at it by saying we're thinking about this wrong. So like, instead of having, a government police force and like we have now guys walking around with guns and uh, backed by a union and they can basically do whatever they want. Like how, instead of doing the, the extreme scenarios, what would a sane or a libertarian or a more um, enlightened world, how would they start the process of uh, setting up, security in a free world that respected individual rights. Okay, sure. Great question. And uh, I I just want to, okay, a couple of things to make that confuse people. So yes, by all means, of course, you should go read chaos theory. Everybody haven't already. I, I can't remember if I was actually a pacifist. It, it was all in a, you know, it was sort of a fluid thing. Um, I was on my very, let's see. I was living in the place when I wrote cast theory, the neighborhood where I had to make the decision about whether to carry a gun or not. But so obviously if I was debating whether to have a gun or not, it wasn't that I was a pacifist at that point. Right. 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 So I'm saying the decision to become a full blown pacifist occurred subsequent to, to that decision. But, so, but, but in chaos theory, you do talk a lot about it, it is um, there's, there's another book that I kind of compare it to as Stefan Kinsella's against intellectual property is that they're both very, very short books that, very um 
can has the potential, I think, to totally get your mind to like, you know, the camera turns around and you see everything in a completely mm -hmm. new light. Chaos Theory did for me, and I was kind of already on board, but like being able to explain it and kept conceptualize it, that book did the same for me on privatization uh, of things that Kinsella's book did for me on intellectual property. So, okay, great. Yeah. So, so thank you. And so what chaos theory did was lay out the case for here's why you don't need institutionalized aggression in order to defend your country from a foreign invasion. You know, and it also did like domestic criminals, but let's just focus on the war one. Mm -hmm. Right. So, cause people think right now, Oh, you need a state because of the very least, if you don't have a state or let they probably say government, then, you know, some foreign countries is going to come and invade you. So yeah, mm -hmm. you guys talk about taxation as theft. Okay. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I don't want to be invaded by, you know, Russia or China. And so what I did in cast theory specifically was show, you know, you don't need your own uh, domestic institution that points guns at everybody and says, you have to fund this project. We're going to call national defense because, Hey, it's in your interest anyway, that you could just have completely voluntary, mechanisms you know in the market that would provide military defense so that that wasn't at that point you know that doesn't sketch a pacifist society because you know it talks about well who would fund the sam sites and who would fund the bombers and who would fund the snipers and da, 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 and how would that all be coordinated if there's not one agency just in charge of defending the country right. so you know that but i what i do think though is if you had that framework very quickly that society might start out as being like a porcupine and then turn into a dove. Yep. Okay. And so, which is all consistent, of course, with libertarianism. It's just, like I say, extending it. Um, and so j just for example, like if you've got in the beginning, you've got Rothbardian type uh, agencies, let's just talk about like, like bank robbers or something. And so, yeah, somebody's robbing a bank and the bet, you know, the teller presses the button underneath and there's, you know, whatever agency they contracted with and there's com competition, you know, so there's keeps costs down and whatever. And if, if uh, one of the officer, well, they wouldn't even call them off. One of the employees of this company gets caught harassing somebody and beating them up. Who's not actually a criminal, you know, they get charged just like anybody else. There's no, you know, immunity for these people in a, in a Rothbarding type thing. You know, the rule of law really exists, but I'm saying if that company just rolls up and they go in with guns blazing and, and even if they're sharpshooters and just kill the bank robbers and that's it, but now there's blood on the floor. And then, you know, the report of the next day in the paper is, you know, three dead, blah, blah, blah. I think if a, if a different agency, if, if their approach was just was less violent and they said, Oh, what we do is we surround the building, you know, we seal it so they can't escape. And then, you know, we cut off the power and blah, blah, blah. And we negotiate with the, and, and if they're able to consistently, they have a track record that they, are able to take the people into custody without anyone dying, you know, including hostages, right? Like, and that's a trade-off too. Like if, if the, if the, you know, more nonviolent ones have hostages get killed then that's not going to look good either. Yeah. But I'm just saying if one agency figures out a way that in general, we, you know, protect our client's property and blah, blah, or we apprehend the criminal, maybe we let them go. And then we just use detectives and we figure out who they were, right? Like we just, we have decided it's too risky. There's too many innocent people standing around just let them take the money and go. And we have survey and we figure we can find them. You yep. know what I mean? Like maybe that's where we put our resources is really good detectives and we figure, find out who they are and we are able to take them into custody that, you know, we turn off their bank accounts. We do this, you know, so I'm just, I'm spitballing here, but I'm just right. saying 
we just have it in our mind that, oh, what has to happen is this agency has to roll up and guys with guns have to come out and shoot those bank robbers. And I'm saying, no, maybe not. Let's let the market decide that. And I think over time, agencies that could solve things. So it wouldn't happen within a week. I think it would, but I think over time it would die down like the, the, the lust for violence, even on the part of the customers of these agencies, just over time. And, and also too, like, okay, so someone's convicted of a crime. And I think that, yeah, so like, let's say somebody, uh, you know, goes and breaks a guy's arm. So I think it's plausible in standard libertarian theory. There's arguments that technically you have the right to break that guy's arm in response, or Walter Block might argue you can break two of his arms. Okay. So let's even say that's true. We, we, you know, some listeners might think that sounds, you know, Old Testament and whatever, understandably so, but let's just stipulate that. But I'm saying in practice, I don't think that's what happened. I would think what would happen is the judge would say, yes, according to, you know, my understanding of the facts and what the existing law is and the precedent and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're convicted, sir, of breaking this guy's arm. And technically now you, the victim, you, the plaintiff, you can break two of his arms in response. Uh, but this guy can offer you a monetary uh, payment to absolve himself of that. Like, you know, to basically buy back the right to, you know, to not break his arms. And I think in practice, most people would realize I would rather this guy pay me $300,000 than I get to break both of his arms. What does that do for me? Right. Right. And so I think over time, that kind of thing would emerge and it would just come to be seen as uncivilized. Right. If someone's like, Oh, you actually, uh, you know, opted for the, the, the physical retribution. That's kind of, you know, ugh, yeah. why? So, so I'm just saying like, so the idea that we, this is the last thing I'll say here. Yeah. Uh, the idea that we, I, I think a lot of Rothbardians think, Oh, there would still be a widespread prison network in a free society. It's just, it would be housed with violators of the NAP. Right. And I think no, over time, that's that wouldn't happen. Not because it's unlibertarian to have a prison per se, but I just I can't see that that would be the sense of I think in just the vast majority of cases, it, it doesn't do anybody any good to have a person right. sitting behind bars. He's not as productive. Instead, right. what if you know he's got a big fine that you still allow him in the world to go work it off? Right. He feels better about it, right? That he is somewhat comp making up for what he did. Whereas if you're sitting behind bars for ten years, yep. it doesn't help. The, the victims any right right so and again and we maybe you want to get into this either now or later about you know some crazy axe murder i get it but i'm just saying is the standard default the idea that when someone does a crime we put them into a cage for a certain amount of time that's crazy right the way it happens now like if someone steals my stratocaster and the cops you know find him and he's already pawned it and shot it up his arm or whatever like he can go to jail and if i've insured it maybe i get my money back but if i'm not insured the cops aren't going to do any you know like mm -hmm. the you know it, in other words it does me no good for that person to be uh in jail but if somehow he had you know whatever if he had you know insurance or in a you know ancap world chaos theory kind of goes into all that but like at least you know i'd rather have the chance of being reimbursed even in part you know and just have him you know go away then have him have me have to pay taxes for people like him to sit in jail and it really serves nobody's interest but like except the government right so like i think that's why uh people are so knee-jerk against pacifism or libertarianism and again it's not the same thing but these um 
uh, scenario arguments, I think, are heavily influenced by the fact that, you know, states have existed for a long time. And we've been told since we were little kids that, you know, the cops are the only people that have the right to um, handle these sorts of situations. And so I think you're right. If I think a Rothbardian world would lead more and more people to become pacifists, if not, you know, uh, 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 just practically, because yeah, who wants to mop up blood when you can, you know, hit somebody with the spidey web or whatever to subdue him or, or, or whatever, because I think all but like sociopaths, you know, um, most people are going to be revulsed at seeing and having to do things like that. And if you can do it cheaper and more peaceful. And I think uh, if we got out of the world mindset that we're in now, which is official state violence is the approved, just um, even sanctioned by God way to do things, then you're right. I think man's natural ingenuity and the market would kind of bring up all these things that we haven't even thought of. So like all the examples you give in chaos theory, I think you make it clear. And I think you said tonight that you don't have that. We don't know what the actual solutions would look like, but there would be all kinds of incentives um, to come up with market-based solutions. And we have no idea what those would look like. Mm-hmm. Just right now, when you were talking, an idea popped into my head. The bank has some kind of, you know, jets around the door frames so that when someone's robbing the thing, the people press the button, they, you know, they comply that here you go. Okay. As the guys are leaving, it sprays them with some kind of, you know, radioactive thing that is easily tracked right. and, and it's invisible to the naked eye. So they don't realize right. it happened. Right. And then they, you know, they go and they wait till they're asleep and then they raid their place and, you know, arrest them in their sleep or whatever. So I, I, obviously I'm just brainstorming. Yeah, yeah. Another example, I wrote a, a novel called Minerva, which if people Google my name, they can find that where I was trying to like take some of these ideas and just, you know, put them into a novel form. And I, I guess I'll give a spoiler that at this point it's been out for a long time. <laughs> but one of the things I realized when I had like the, you know, the ANCAP, people who are defending themselves from invasion by statist armies. One of the things they end up doing is they have sharp sharpshooters. So they're not pacifists, but they don't shoot to kill. They have exploding bullets and they just shoot the guy's kneecap Yeah, and they just blow up, you know? So, because if you're thinking about, you got an invading army rather than mowing guys down, it's much better if they have a bunch of guys who can't walk anymore, but are still alive. So the other, forces either have to take care of them, which pins them down and, you know, spread or let them die, which is really bad for morale. Like, you know what I mean? If they just like their captain say, no, just keep marching, forget them, their legs blown up. So I'm just saying little things like that, like just market for it. So that's, has nothing to do with ethics, but just the logic of it, I thought would lead, you know, people when they're trying to husband resources and really be, you know, be the most effective and whatnot that, that, yeah, it's, if you have open competition and different firms vying for things, I think over time, nonviolent techniques are just more practical. Yeah. Like hurting other people. Like think of it this way in general, if you could defeat an army and not destroy all their equipment, wouldn't that be preferable? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what good does it do to destroy machinery? That's, you know, well, humans are incredibly productive machines. So other things equal, if you can do something without wrecking these incredibly complex machines that are walking around planet earth, that's a good thing. Yeah. And I think that 
um, one of the things that as I've, I've, I've basically sort of been a Christian my whole life too. I don't really remember a time when I didn't believe, uh, in Jesus, but, you know, certainly as I've gotten older, you know, at different, uh, steps along the way, my faith has changed, uh, and gotten, you know, I think clearer and, and better. And, you know, it was maybe 10, eight or 10 years ago or so where, when I just kind of had a, when my relationship with God was improving that I kind of sort of kind of, uh, I used to be kind of a typical, I was never like a gun guy. Like I'm just not like uh, interested in it, but I would have been, uh, you know, endorsing like, yeah, you know, you should, uh, uh, you know, everyone should, you know, arm up and, and all this and, uh, uh be ready to uh, defend yourself. And, uh, now, like if I see one of those things on Twitter, like I don't even click on them because it just sickens me so much. Um, but something happened in my heart where I'm just like, no, like I'm, I don't like the violent aspect, uh, of this and, you know, my attitudes on other things were changing at that time. But then, but the one thing I like about the, the cool thing about being a Christian is I think the more I've grown in my faith that you figure out that the moral and the practical, it's funny that, you know, an all knowing, uh, benevolent creator of the universe, Oh, he just so happens. He set things up that doing the right thing is usually practically the best thing in the long mm -hmm. run, you know? Um, and that's just sort of like clicked in me. And so, um, I have found myself talking to other libertarians and other just normal people about things. Um, you know, those how libertarians are not normal people. And I think that's a good thing, but, uh, um, but, uh, I found myself saying some kind of weird things. Like, um, I remember saying, well, in a gun control debate, I was like, well, I oppose gun control because I'm a pacifist. Yes. Great. Right. And cause so morally, like, you know, morally, I think it is probably better. Well, both morally and practically. So to be, to enforce gun control, you have to commit millions of acts of violence to go steal all these guns from people. And even though I'm a pacifist, I would rather have, everyone having a gun than only, you know, 10% of the population calling themselves a government having a gun. Right. So like allowing freedom of choice, I think leads to a more balanced, you know, um, a better freer society, but obviously I want to go more than, you know, I, I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but, um, yeah. Uh, can I respond to some of those no, points? Yeah, please I'm worried where I'm going to forget. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I'm in wholehearted agreeing with what you just said. Yeah. Right. That, that was something I would say that would just blow Cause I, uh, Lou Rockham let, let me run some pacifism articles when I was in grad school, right. When I was in this phase and, uh, and I was getting all kinds of hate mail, you know, from libertarian types and yeah, that you're right. One of the, for whatever reason, some people just automatically assume that, Oh, so you're like, you line up with the left-wingers and want, want the government to disarm everybody. That makes a lot of sense. Don't you know what happened in, uh, you know, China and the Soviet Union when they did that? Duh, idiot. And like you say, no, my response was, no, since I'm a pacifist, I oppose the use of violence to achieve my social goals, if that's the way you want to phrase it. And so, yes, I think it would be good if we lived in a society where no one had a gun, but to get there, I'm not going to use violence 
right? That would be mm-hmm. the whole, that's violating the whole spirit and, or actual letter of the law to a pacifism, right? So, so no, that doesn't make any sense at all. Just like it's easier to see, I think, you know, to say, oh, I wish people didn't smoke or I wish people didn't use heroin. But if you're a pacifist, you obviously can't use guys with guns to punish people for using heroin. Mm-hmm. So likewise, if you think, yep, other things equal, it'd be good if nobody had a gun. That doesn't mean you favor guys with guns sticking them. People say, hey, turn your guns over, you know, because now we're a gun free zone. Like that, that doesn't make any sense at all. And then what you're saying, too, about Christianity, that right, it's I would just add one element to it about, you know, well, well, what role does evil play or sin or whatever? So the devil tempts you, right? Because it looks like mm-hmm. using violence works, right? It, in other words, there has to be some superficial appeal of it. Otherwise, nobody would do it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's the thing that, right, that, you know, using nonviolence, that that stance towards life and, and treating people like your brothers and sisters and Christ and stuff like that, you know, hey, we're all God's children. If you adopt that mindset, things will be better for you. And I don't mean nothing bad will ever happen, yeah. but you get the, you know, in, in a, you know, in a, in a certain sense that you will have a more wholesome, fulfilled life if you do that. But there's the temptation to cheat yeah. and to take shortcuts and well, no, why do it voluntarily? Why try to convince people to just stick a gun in their belly? And, you know, so libertarians get that when it comes to, you know, politicians or whatever, like, yeah, you want me to donate to the poor, but you're sticking a gun in my, but you, you know, do it voluntarily. What they seem to think, yeah, but if, you know, someone's robbing a bank or whatever, then we stick a gun in their belly to, to stop that outcome. Cause it, I don't want the bank to get robbed. I don't like that outcome. And so I'm going to use violence to stop it. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to be glib and, or, or play dumb. I understand there's a huge gulf between initiating aggression and responding defensively. But I'm just saying when you think through and also too that like the arguments, as you were saying, Aaron, that people who think libertarianism sounds crazy, like, of course we need widespread taxation and a, a monopoly provider of law and defense. Otherwise we're going to get invaded. We'll be overrun by the mafia and they come and you just go through and pick apart and say, no, you don't actually understand how the world works. That's not true. The mafia thrives because of government, not in spite of it. And then likewise, I'm just saying that, yeah, all these bad things you think are going to happen if more people were further on this pacifism spectrum than they are now, yeah. I actually think isn't the case that you haven't thought it through the right way. Yeah. And I think that uh, we've both, I think, said this along the way is like, I don't think you have to be a pacifist to be either a libertarian or a Christian, but I think both of us obviously have been both our practical um, considerations and our conscience uh, has pushed each of us um, in that direction. So, but you, we start off in the talking about a definition. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I say one more thing? Oh yeah. Please I, I don't, do. cause I don't want to forget it. Yeah. When you're talking about it, it just popped into my head the other day Well, I was in church actually that I don't, I don't mean this to be a, uh, I don't know what, what word I would blast, not blasphemous, but just not correct uh, amount of respect or whatever. But like, there's a sense in which Jesus going through life, he was living this world on, on God mode. Mm-hmm. Right. And that he was doing, you know, so some people might say, Oh sure. Yeah. I could turn the other cheek or whatever, you know, if I could, or I could even let people kill me on a cross if I knew I was going to come back from the dead three days later. Right. Sure. You know, it's it's easy for Jesus to you know preach the sermon on the mount when he's got, but I think it's you know he even saying like you know 
you're going to do greater things than these or whatever. You know, if you have the faith of the mustard seed, you could tell that mountain to you know get up and go into the sea. So I think partly what he was trying to teach was it's not that I'm doing this stuff because I'm so special. Like that, no, that you, if you actually believed what I told you and don't just assume it's a metaphor or like, oh, the Sermon on the Mount, all that stuff, he doesn't really mean that literally because that would just be crazy. You know, all the bad people would take advantage of that. You know, the more you actually implement it and say maybe he meant what he said for real, mm-hmm. that you would all of a sudden find miraculous things happening in your life. You know, yeah. so anyway. No, I I, I agree, and I I really like that uh, you've said a couple. I I forget the exact example, but and it would take too much time to get off on anyway. But uh, in a lot of your podcasts, Bob Murphy show you have like examples like that. I think you said something about miracles that, uh, um, the just, yeah, Bob, uh, he talks about miracles in one of his podcasts, go back and find that. And it totally changed my way of like looking at things because I also thought that, Oh, it's like God suspending the rules. And I'm like, well, and your point was that we just don't understand the rules of how he set things up, uh, enough because he's all powerful and he can do these things. And, in other words, that's what faith is, I guess, is taking him at his word and gradually finding out more um, uh, good things uh, about him and, again, how he set things up. So, like, in the given all that we've said and with the disclaimers that you don't have to be a, a, a pacifist to be a good libertarian or a good Christian. And also, I think I made sort of a flippant comment about annoying libertarian atheists earlier, and that was a joke. Um, and I have yeah, I'm fine with libertarian atheists and, you know, I, I can be annoying too. So, but, um, so what would you say? Yeah, I think the- they are annoying. It's just Christian libertarians yeah. are annoying too. That's <laughs> right. Um, but I don't know. There are, there actually are good natured atheists, but, uh, I suppose we only know the, the, the annoying ones because the annoying ones are the ones who go around telling people, Oh, I'm an atheist and you're an idiot for believing otherwise. I, I suppose there's Christians who can kind of do the same, a similar thing in a different way, I guess. But um, so what would your if your what would your tweet length um um uh definition of pacifism for you, Bob Murphy, be? I hope to be able to live my life without ever causing serious bodily injury to anyone else. Okay. And so I'm leaving open scope, like you're saying a a situation where, yeah, I'm sitting in a restaurant and some guy comes in with a gun and he's trying to run. Uh, maybe I would, if I just thought he was just going to take the money and leave, I probably wouldn't do anything because you know, that's escalating it, but, or or like a school shooter situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially if my kid's in a school and I'm certainly going in there, but I would like it to be that I, you know, I hide behind the wall or something and the, and the guy comes to when I tackle him or whatever. Yeah. I, I got, and I know some people here like, Oh my God, dude, you're just so crazy. Like I, I feel bad for your kid, you know, get a yeah. gun, man. I, I, I get that. I understand, but yeah. I'm just explaining, you know, so it's not that, you know, and some other people though, they might have a different view of like, no, even there, like you're conceding too much. Like you're, you're, you're still like, you're shrinking the zone, but why tackle them? Why not try to reason with them or what? You know, yeah. I, I get it. And for me, the answer is because I can't see right now how using words in that situation is going to do right. anything. Right. right. Um, so 
you know, that, that's so for, again, for me in terms of practical, that's, that's where, where, where I've come down on it, that you could make a distinction between force and violence, I guess yeah. that, you know, using force to me means like, yeah, tackling someone and holding them down until the authorities get there. I'm using force, but I'm not really hurting him. So I don't was you know, yeah. committing violence. Also too, there's interesting distinctions. Like you could have violence that also isn't aggression, right? Like, like there could boxing. be a, a prize fight. Yeah. yeah. Or MMA or whatever. And the guys are certainly causing violence upon each other, but it's yeah. voluntary, yeah. you know, so it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle. Right. So there's a lot of different interactions of these things. So I guess what I'm hearing is that it's not exactly, you don't have a, um, you know, 11th commandment that spells it out exactly in your mind, but it's, it's more of an attitude toward always defaulting toward a peaceful solution. Is that? Yes. And, you know, and it's coming from, you know, like the sermon on the Mount, I think, you know, things of that nature. Uh, the way, one way I, I try to look at it is imagine you know, how it would be with your actual blood, you know, brother that I don't mean a blood, you know what I mean? I mean, like literally your sibling, like in the yep. biological. So that's what I meant by that. Yep. And that, you know, if, if things got crazy and you ended up killing him, even if, you know, he was going nuts and coming at you or whatever, but still like, you know, wouldn't you feel sheepish telling your parents? Yeah. I, I killed John yeah. last night. Cause you know, I'm telling you, here's what happened. I don't know what else I could have done that you, you forever after would presumably, you know, be thinking, Jesus, there's some way I could have handled that differently. Right. You know? And so likewise, I'm just saying that I think as a Christian, I'm supposed to view the stranger that I've never met before with as much, you know, benefit of the doubt and compassion. And it would be really good. Even if he's doing something nutty right now to diffuse the situation. So it didn't hurt people, but allow him to come back from that. You know, yeah. and the best thing in the world is he's going to be rehabilitated and he's going to go around maybe talking to high school audiences about, yeah, I was really into drugs and whatever. And I got to the point where this almost happened. One of, one of my favorite scenes in literature is in Les Mis yep. when, you know, Valjean steals from the, the bishop who let him come in and, you know, and then he gets arrested and, you know, the, the cops bring him up to the, you know, the gender. He steals some candle. He steals some yeah. candlesticks. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the Bishop says to the police, you know, let him go. You, you forgot. I, I gave you these also. And he gives him more of his stuff, Yeah, you know, just, and you know, that's the pivotal moment that makes Valjean, you know, reform yeah. and, you know, go on to be cool guy. Yeah. And so, you know, someone could say, Oh, that's not realistic. Well, yeah. if you're a Christian, you know, look what happened with Saul slash Paul. Yeah. Right. And I would argue the reason God picked him is, or same thing like Jonah and the whale. Like, like I don't put it this way to get to the point where you could go into Nineveh and with such conviction, preach to them and let them know what was up so that the whole city, instead of just saying, get out of here, who are you? Were convicted and reformed. What kind of person could pull that off? Well, someone who had just spent three days in the belly of a whale, right. that's who. <laughs> and right, so right. likewise, who would be happy sitting in prison in chains, writing epistles to churches, somebody who had earlier, you know, been helping to kill Christians. And then, yeah. you know, Jesus yeah. whacks them upside the head. So anyway, I'm just saying yeah. at the very least, we should try yeah. to not just resort to, well, if a guy's doing this, smoke the guy, he had it coming. Oh, let's yeah. put it on Twitter and, and show how this guy got killed. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. That no, you just missed out on maybe who the next Paul would have been. Yeah. Or at the very least, yeah, I mean, 
probably not. I mean, the, the uh, a naysayer would say, well, probably the guy's horrible and whatever, but you never know. And Saul was horrible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. So like something like that could have someone who is horrible. It would take something truly um, wonderful to change that person's heart. And what could be more wonderful than, than having, you know, deserving to die and someone having compassion on you. That's why sometimes you hear uh, stories about family members um, um, or, you know, like war crimes victims or whatever, you know, forgiving the person who tortured them or killed their child or something like that. And when you read something like that, like it's so powerful because it goes against our human nature and like every, you know, as strongly as it could possibly be. But, um, you know, I think people have truly been moved by those things. Like, I think, I don't know, maybe it was you, but I've heard other people use this example of the Daryl Dixon guy who is, I think he's a black man. He's a musician who basically decided to go around like befriending white nationalists, Klansmen and stuff like that. And, you know, he's converted a lot of people toward not, being that way anymore mm-hmm. by not by trying to get a law passed or to uh you know oh, i'm gonna go punch a nazi or whatever but by you know for people who hate him like literally going up and trying to befriend them you know it has had a great um there's all kinds of stories like that if you if you do look for mm-hmm. them and by the way i've got i've got lay Miz on the it's on the shelf like right there it's my one of my probably my favorite novel oh great uh, but by, by the way i i don't want to be a poser i haven't read it okay but i've seen the play and i've seen the movie right right <laughs> i i actually read it before uh, i saw the play my wife and i went to one of the places we went on our honeymoon was london and that's the only musical i've ever seen and so in the months before i i read it so i would know before i <laughs> oh wow um, it was quite a Good commitment but um, um can, can I, let me just it's worth it. It's worth it. Mention one thing. Um, what we're what I'm not saying, I'm assuming you agree, Aaron. I'm not saying that, oh, if somebody you know commits a heinous act, that maybe we should really look at what are the social causes of that. And really, let's get in. And really, it wasn't his fault because you know he grew up in poverty. So I'm not to forgive somebody is not to excuse what they did or to say it wasn't a big deal. Right. Right. So that those are, you know, and I think that's again, as Christians, we get that, that that's kind of the power to say, you know, and that you deserve to go to hell. And yeah. so people think, no, I'm basically pretty good. It's like, no, if you think that you don't understand how bad you are and the yeah. stuff you actually done. And I don't yeah. just mean like it's some generic, you know, original sin thing. I mean, like, I, so we're kind of digressing here, but I, I think, you know, what quote hell is among other possibilities is if you, after you're dead, are shown all of the hurt that you caused, not just because of directly, but you did something to somebody else that messed with them, and then that set in motion a chain reaction, then they were crappy to other people and just... And so there's just like to do. see the totality of how you going through life in the wake of destruction and hurt, you left it, you know, and you didn't even realize it, you know, but you did know enough that you knew, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but you didn't fully realize just like the people, you know, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, forgive them father for they know not what they do. It's not that they tripped and accidentally nailed him to a, you know what I mean? Like when Mm -hmm. he said, they don't know what they're doing. He didn't mean as if, you know, uh, 
a drunk driver falls asleep at the wheel and runs over a kid and, oh, geez, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. It, that's not what he means by that. He just means that they don't fully realize, I mean, among other things, they don't know that it's God incarnate that they're killing. Yeah. But, you know, th th so I think that's just really encapsulates what I'm trying to get across is when people sin, yeah, they know they're not supposed to do what they just did, but they think, ah, it's not that big a deal. And it's like, no, if you saw the full ramifications, you would realize what a big deal it was. And the yeah. only way you can kind of recover from that shock is if you've your whole life have been, you know, going to church and saying, God can forgive Jesus, you know, died for my sins. And that helps you get over it. So to me, that's what it means. Like to say, when you die, if you, if you believe in Jesus, then, you know, yeah. you can deal with it and, be, and go into eternity and, and paradise. Whereas if you think on your own merit, you're fine. You're not going to have a good time of it. It's yeah. going to be hell. Yep. Yep. Um, so I think you, uh, you have about 15, 20 more minutes, I think. Sure. Yep. Okay. So a good example, <laughs> it's funny. We're talking about going to hell yeah. and you said you got about 15 more yeah. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, St. Peter, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> what's your last meal? Um, what would your last meal be by the way? Boy, <laughs> uh, probably a lot of carbs just cause right now I'm in a mentality of like, <laughs> you know, not letting myself enjoy them. Uh, either that, either sushi or like a maybe like some kind of pasta meal or maybe both yeah well yeah, yeah. i'm gonna get both the sushi right, appetizer right. what am i I'm, yeah. I'm going to the chair might as well uh get what i want yeah that's funny um so um so i listened to your recent podcast episode of the bob murphy show with david gonoski talking about the israel palestine stuff and i think that the whole time i was listening to it knowing i was going to be talking to you today which is december 19th that we're uh recording this i was like uh I saw lots of um, uh, ways in which the idea of pacifism and, you know, both practically and morally trying to default toward the peaceful solution is obviously that's not happening in the Israel Palestine thing. And especially heartbreaking and distressing to me is like the attitude of a lot of Christians, mostly American Christians, and also because I used to be one of those who's like, yeah, Israel, uh, you know, God's behind them and yeah, you know, they can do whatever they want and, and all this stuff. And so I've, you know, I've come to like, Hey, I'm an anarchist and a Christian. So why am I supporting a state doing these things? And, uh, one of my laws, like, you know, Harris's law is in politics, you know, there are often more than one side to every story and, even though there's more than one side to every conflict, they can all be wrong at the same time mm -hmm. uh, to one degree or another. And I think that's what's going on with, you know, is, you know, Hamas, Israel, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're, you know, the sides that are presented as the sides in the media have a lot of literal blood on their hands. Um, uh, because a lot of the leaders of those, especially the leaders of the Israeli government, I think did serve in the military and do some pretty rough things. But so a lot of American Christians are like, not just like reluctantly, like, Oh, well, I guess God, like, cause sometimes you read things in the old Testament of like God telling Joshua to do X, Y, or Z. And you're like, oof, you know, but Oh, God said it. So I guess, you know, it's almost the opposite. It's like very like, alarming the statements they're making um uh, about you know who cares about collateral damage and and all this stuff um and just in in light of 
what we've been talking about, like, what would you say to, um, someone who, you know, and who, you know, just a, an average American evangelical Christian, um, how would you respond? And I know you've been doing a lot of that on Twitter. So like, what would be your case of like, Hey, you should think about it this way, both morally and practically. Like what just, yeah. Okay, sure. So, um, you know, a bunch of things. So here, not that this is going to be some, you know, elevator pitch or whatever, but just what's popping into my head here. Uh, so one thing I said is there's, it's interesting. There are, a, and with all this stuff, I get, it's a very delicate, you know, I understand what happened in October was horrifying. And I get how, you know, people are just shocked and outraged. And then the idea that some people would, well, both sides, like you say, are making it so much worse because it's not that the, uh, the pro-Palestinian people are just saying, yeah, what Hamas did in October was horrifying. Those people are criminals and we should do, you know, they should be brought to justice, but guys, you can't, you can't kill a bunch of, you know, five-year-olds and under because of what these guys did. Those kids had nothing to do with that. You know what I mean? They weren't even alive when Hamas was voted into power. You know, that would be one thing, but you don't have that. You have all these people, you know, openly celebrating what happened and, you know, and Hey, Palestine. And then, I've never seen such anti-Semitism, and some of it I hope is just like trolling, like people just going along for the ride because it's so outrageous. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we can say this now, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas like three years ago, your career would have been ruined if we said these things online. But I guess it's okay now because there's so many progressive Democrats talking like this about the Jews and Israel. Okay, I guess mm-hmm. so. You know, all this the flood. So I get how both sides get hardened and hunkered down, and like, wow, the people on the other side of this issue are just—I can't believe what monsters they are. So. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, that's five-year-olds getting killed in Gaza. Like that's, that's not their fault that, you know, the, some idiots marching around, you know, in a protest in the U S are saying really stupid things. Um, so, so one point I made was a lot of American evangelicals will say I'm pro-life. And even in the case of, you know, rape and incest, that's horrible that that happened. I feel awful for that poor girl, but you can't take it out on the innocent baby in your womb. They had, they didn't rape you. They didn't have, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, there's a criminal. If a crime occurred, let's go punish the criminal, but you can't, um, even if it helps ease the situation, you can't take it out on the innocent uh, baby in the womb. And so I'm saying, okay, use the same logic then that you, so yes, what happened, that was a horrible crime. And the Israelis, yes, have a right to defend themselves, but to defend yourself doesn't mean you get to go, killed you know thousands of kids Mm -hmm. and again the people on planet earth who should be the most receptive to that or at least see the logic of it are american evangelicals who are rabidly pro-life even in the case of rape and incest you know because they say hey murder is murder you can't kill a baby sorry and so but yet there's some of the most vociferous israel can do whatever it wants and these monsters you know these animals you know uh, wipe them out as far as i'm concerned you know israel's got to take the gloves off and it's just whoa Mm -hmm. Um, another point too, like this is really about theology or anything, but just, I I have not, uh, the American media has just been horrible. And that's almost a truism at this point, but the fact that Netanyahu openly, you know, that was their strategy was to support Hamas, right? I haven't seen anyone challenge the legitimacy of these quotes that where he was speaking, you know, to his, uh, party and whatever, I think in 2019 was when one of these quotes was floating around openly saying we are supporting Hamas and people say, why? Because he's a, 
a monster and wants his people to be no his his rationale was we don't want a two-state solution if there's a more moderate group that's leading the palestinians the world might insist that we bargain with them and have a two whereas if it's hamas everybody knows you know they're a bunch of terrorists and thugs no one's going to take them seriously as the leaders of a state and so we in israel ought to support hamas and help them you know stay in power over there because that will delegitimize a two-state solution, which we yeah. think is not in our interest. It's almost as if he knew the American empire and the worldwide media would uh, back him up on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and like, yeah, it, it is. But um, uh, uh, Dave Smith was just on Rogan talking about this. And I know Scott Horton has written about it, that I think the papers and stuff in Israel are talking about that, right? It's just like, it doesn't make it out of, it doesn't get reported in our right. media. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's so yeah, that's what, yeah, I was, I wasn't just saying the media, it's like the American media that here yeah, for yeah. some reason that has not penetrated into the yeah. discussion where yeah, you got Dave talking to a few, and even there you get within the libertarian ranks, you get other people denouncing Scott and Oh yeah, I guess uh, Israel's responsible for everything now. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, that looks prima facie pretty bad. Netanyahu openly supporting Hamas in 20, when the, the ostensible justification for killing a bunch of kids is well, their parents a long time ago had an election and voted for Hamas. So, if 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 voting for Hamas means your kids can be, are on the table, well, then what does that mean for Netanyahu? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but also, I think just morally, the whole like cycle of violence thing. It's like you know, you go back and look at all the heinous things on both sides, and so a they're not arguing over religion; they're arguing over who owns land and who should have political power. Uh, so it's not a religious conflict in any sense uh, of, of the term. Um, but the fact that one side or one group did something to this group, then like, obviously if there's a, there's a, this is a textbook case of using violence to get what you want, even if you may be somewhat justified by constantly defaulting toward violence instead of trying for peaceful solutions, what might have been solved back in 1895 or put on a different path when the first Zionists started showing up uh, from Europe. Instead, you know, there was some, you know, again, if violence and deceit on both sides, but imagine if they took the other path and how much, different it could be now but because the default was violence we're to this point where people where it's the most crazy thing where you know everything you see reported about this in again in the american media it's like if looking at it as a christian you're like how are any of these people not seeing how crazy their (laughs) their position and -hmm. how bad their position sounds if you um would apply you know other groups, you know, take, you know, do a Mad Libs and take the nouns out and replace them with other proper nouns. And you're like, people would obviously not agree with that. So, yeah, just like on that too, like, um, I noticed that it was, uh, you know, people were getting, uh, footage of, of kids marching around, like people in the U S saying, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. It's like, Oh, look Mm -hmm. at that. They're openly calling for genocide of the Jews. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, no, they're not. They're openly calling for Palestinians to be free. And you could say, oh, but that's what they mean. And say, okay, but still, it's important they didn't say that, right? Because if they were marching around saying, hey, everyone, let's kill all the Jews, they wouldn't have all the high school students following them in lockstep. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. And so that's important right there. But then on the other side too, you had prominent right wingers in the, in the United States saying things like flatten Gaza or turn Gaza into a glass or a parking lot or stuff like that. Right. I mean, prominent people, I, I don't yeah. want to say the wrong name because, but prominent people like in government and, you know, the punditry. And, you know, so I'd point to that and they said, oh, they didn't really mean that. So it was this weird dichotomy where, you know, they, you're reading genocide into people calling for Palestinians to be free, but yet people are openly calling for turning Palestine or yeah, Palestine into a parking lot. Yep. And people are like, oh, that doesn't mean they wanted to wipe those people out. That's not what that yep. means. I'm like, pretty sure like okay. Lindsey Lindsey Graham yeah, he think, was said something yeah. pretty like radical. Flat in Gaza or something. Yeah, yeah. We need to let yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um yeah, well, I, I really appreciate the time. And can I say any, one last thing about that? Just to please, please you're, do, yeah. you're right. So it's with all this stuff, the, the, you know, violence begets violence and it's harder to get out of the cycle, the deeper you get into it. And so like my analogy is like in the Godfather movie, right? If you get 90 minutes into it and then approach the Corleone family and say, Hey guys, you should renounce the use of violence. They might say, but if we do, we're dead next week. Yeah. Whereas if you had caught, you know, the Don early on in his career, and he's like when he's stealing carpets, so it's like, yeah. hey, hey, why don't you, you know, turn back towards a life of legitimacy and obeying the law? Yeah. You know, it would have been less difficult a choice at that moment. You know, so yeah, the deeper you get into it, just like yeah, right now in the Middle East, I get how people are saying, okay, sure, you can quibble about what happened in '67 or whatever, but at this point, if Israel were to relax its, you know, posture, they would be overrun. I understand that, but the point is this continually, you know, upping the ante on both sides is not going to work. Yeah. And so, so the, the sooner you start dialing that back, the better. Yeah. And yes, it would have been better to start dialing it back 50 years ago. Yeah. Yep. You're right. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate all your perspective on stuff and, and also go back and I encourage people to listen to the, your episode of the Bob Murphy show with David Gernoski, uh, about some of the Israel Palestine stuff we were just talking about, uh, both you and David made some good points, uh, about that. And if anybody who's stuck around with us this long and still thinks we're full of it, like I, I'd be open to having someone who totally disagrees, um, on, and I, I'd be happy to talk about it with them and I'll, uh, I'll fight them. I'll fight them okay, yeah. outside. <laughs> we'll settle this that way. Well, as long as we, you know, agree to rules, you know, but I guess would a pacifist be a boxer? I mean, I guess I don't see anything wrong with it, but because people do things to cause pain to their bodies all the time and they're not being whatever, but I don't know. That's, I, I I've had a long day, Bob. <laughs> I've been going and uh, my mind is, I better stop rambling, but yeah. So Aaron, with my system though, again, just so people, I couldn't be a, a, a an actual boxer because no, I'm inflicting yeah. a bodily harm on somebody or if I'm good, maybe, maybe yeah. I would just be getting <laughs> yeah, yeah. my, my uh, lights knocked off. But, uh, but also too, I, I don't know that I, I've never gone to like a, a professional boxing match, you know, like paid money to go watch somebody. Yeah. Um, I did rent the uh, when Tyson fought Holyfield, and yeah. and I think that proved to me that this is futile because yeah. he just yeah. bit his ear, and we were all right. so mad, you know, ten minutes into wherever it was. Well, and and I think that um, a lot of people, both with gun violence and with boxing and stuff like that, is like ninety nine percent of that we're seeing it on screens, and it's either fictional or it's on a 
you know, screen on the wall, but like, imagine being in the front row for something like mm. that, like, you know, watching UFC fight or a boxing match on television, even on the big screen, like you can't smell the blood and see the sweat fly and hear, you know, so like to be actually there, it might turn, you know, some people obviously would be more into it, but like, right. I think a lot of people to like, and see the, you know, to go back into the dressing rooms after and see them, you know, having, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, a battlefield surgery done on them and yeah. stuff like that, that might turn people's, um, and, and we uh, could push it w- one more too. Like, cause I could, you know, I, I know like, like Dave Smith gets in the fights and whatever and uh, watching them. I mean, I mean, he gets mm-hmm. into verbal. I, <laughs> I don't think Dave would last for Dave's a tall guy, but like, I, I don't think uh, <laughs> he's got the reach, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah so, what I'm saying is it's not like I'm sitting here in judgment of people, you know, Oh, oh no, wow, no. you guys watch MMA. You're sick. That, that's not what I'm saying, but just to push it. If people are like, Whoa, what's the big deal? It's voluntary. I mean, we can imagine, especially like in a, in a, an economically desperate society, even if it's all Rothbardian people who have like really high bills or something, and they just agree to go into like gladiator things where, you know, it's a fight to the death yeah. because then, Oh, a million dollars will get, or, ounces of gold or whatever they do yeah. in that society will go to my children or whatever. And like, this is just the best, you know, people who ha- can't m- make a living other ways, like this is what they do. And then society cheers them as they all like slaughter each other. Like to me, can we all agree that would be kind of sick and like, no, if your society's gone down that. So when I'm seeing this, especially like with women getting into this stuff yeah. and two women just beating the crap out of each other, like that society has taken a wrong turn if that's where we are. And the next step is basically like 15 year olds or something, right? Like, I mean, obviously it'll, um, but it is, I think it does tell something about a society, what it will pay money to be entertained by. (laughs) Um, And again, yeah, I I agree. I don't think there's anything morally wrong with it, but it, it is interesting of why that is so entertaining uh, uh, to people. Um, so this is going to be posted, uh, I, th- I think I'm going to post it on Christmas Eve, um, f- on the decentralized revolution feed for the Mises caucus. And, uh, I think you're going to post it new year's or thereabouts. So, um, just in general, uh, how, you know, do you have any, um, new year's, uh, and Christmas, uh, thoughts to share blessings for people? Like, uh, this is your chance to spread a little good cheer, uh, for people. Well, I mean, as you and I have said, Aaron, I think, you know, Jesus showed us the way that, you know, he, he gave us the words to follow and, uh, you, you know, he, and he lived it and we can see what happened. And again, I would just encourage people to, you know, realize that yes, you know, he, he was the son of God. And so you could say he did miracles and things like that, but again, he, he wasn't hoarding that for himself. He was saying, yeah. you know, you just follow these words and, you know, it will, it will go well for you. So I, I would say, yeah, trusting that even if it doesn't make sense and yeah, and you don't need to do it all or nothing, you know, you can do baby steps. And I'm just saying, just, just try it out. Things that to you yeah. seem nutty. And again, appealing to a libertarian, especially like Ann cap crowd. Most people think that your views right now are crazy and they obviously wouldn't work. So I'm just encouraging you. If you think what Aaron and I have been talking about is nutty and obviously wouldn't work, well, just, you know, think it through a little bit, you know, and just maybe see, well, okay, that one may be okay. And, and I think you'll see that it'll start loosening up. And uh, with all of that, I, again, just remember God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. I let I lo- you, you say that a lot. And I, um, 
Uh, I really like it when you say that. So, and also like, you know, it goes without saying, and I'll probably retroactively when I do the intro for this, like, I know some people get like weirded out by talking about God and stuff like that. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think it's, uh, yeah, we could go, that's another conversation, but like, obviously the, these are all, uh, my views are my views and Bob's are Bob's and uh, you know, the Mises caucus, there's a lot of people who feel a lot differently about things. So, and, but we're all pretty chill about it. So um, uh, if anybody wants to uh, have a, uh, a debate on the pacifism thing or, or present other ideas that you really disagreed with um, anybody, you know, of good faith, I'll, I'll listen to um, uh, you know, somebody who's not just wanting to, be contrarian for contrarian sake, but if you got some good points, I'd be happy to entertain those. But um, yeah, Bob, I really appreciate your time. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's an honor to talk to you and uh, for your audience, who's listening to this at some point, uh, check us out. Uh, um, Mises caucus uh, online, lpmesescaucus.com and uh, decentralized revolution. And, but more than anything else, of the things we mentioned tonight, I encourage people to read chaos theory because it does uh, it's super short, but, but really brilliant. And um, um, yeah, I, I appreciate your time and all, all the work that you do um, in economics and everything else you do. Well, thanks so much for the kind words, uh, Aaron. And let me say, I'm not surprised this happened, but I'm glad that I got my good mic out or, cause I thought, you know what? I bet you this episode with Aaron's going to be one that, it's like, oh yeah, that's a keeper. Yeah, that we're gonna. I'm gonna want to put this on my own podcast, and that that certainly is the case. So, thank you for this opportunity. I think it was a great discussion. <laughs>